0: at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson.
1: The Bible reveals that there is a judgment day when every human being over all of human history will have to appear before God for judgment. And there's two possibilities. One will be either condemned or one will be invited into the kingdom of God. Let me ask you a question. Do you have assurance that you will be invited into the kingdom of God? Welcome there as part of God's covenant family. There is only one way that you'll enter, and that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is going to remind us of today in our study. So take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Romans and chapter 8. The book of Romans and chapter 8. Now, what is said here is very foundational. It is the basics of our faith. We need to understand it so that we can live with assurance, knowing that we belong to God and that we have a sure hope that when we leave this world, whether by death or that blessed hope, that glorious day when Messiah will descend from heaven and cause us to meet him in the clouds known as the rapture. Whether we leave this world by death or by rapture, realize something. The only way that we're going to be invited into the kingdom of God is through what Messiah has done for us. That is when he laid down his life, upon that tree and it's only for those who have received it by faith taking hold of god's grace by faith that are going to be in his kingdom so look with me to this passage of scripture the book of romans chapter 8 and verse 1 and notice this wonderful proclamation that this chapter begins with we read in verse 1 therefore now And there is an emphasis in this verse on that one word, now. What does it have to do with now being in a covenantal relationship with God through the Lord and Savior, Messiah Yeshua, that is Jesus Christ. By faith in Him, everything is different now. Because of that covenantal relationship, he says, therefore now, There is no condemnation. Now, there is two different words that we need to understand. One is judgment. Everyone is going to be judged. But what he's saying here is for those who are in Messiah Yeshua, they will not experience condemnation. They are not going to be rejected by God. They are not going to receive eternal punishment, but as I said, these individuals are going to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. There is difference between judgment, sometimes that word means evaluating something and giving the right response, giving biblical truth in regard to a certain matter, judging properly. And this same word can have a prefix add to it, which means not to simply judge, but to judge down, which we get the word condemnation. And I said a few weeks ago, when we were studying in chapter 2, it is not the role of you and me to act as one who condemns. This is what sometimes people mean when they say, don't judge. Don't be condemning. Now I received a response and people say, well, Brooke, you're wrong because we are going to judge the angels. God's going to have us use this new mind that we have through Messiah to judge the world. But realize something. In Romans chapter two, he's talking about us in this body, in this age, in this world, judging one another here now. The passage of scripture that speaks about us judging angels and judging the world has nothing to do with now in this body at this time, but on the other side of death, when the kingdom of God is established. So we always have to ask ourselves, are we talking about something that's relevant for now, for a human being when they're in this body and living and serving God, or are we talking about something at a totally different time period when we are in the kingdom of god when we have that new body when we are judging based upon this new condition that we find ourselves within being fully members of god's kingdom and being present in that kingdom that's an entirely different matter and we always have to pay attention to context Once more, verse 1. Therefore now, there is no condemnation for who? Only for those, this is what he's going to tell us, for the ones in Messiah. Now I've shared many times that this expression, in Messiah, has to do with being in a new covenant relationship with him. So if you're not in a new covenant relationship with God through Messiah, then there is going to be, you can be assured, condemnation is your eternal destiny. You will not know God's blessings. You will not know God's promises. You will know eternal torment. But for those who are in Messiah, he says, for those who are in Messiah Yeshua, and it says, and here's how we can give evidence. It says, not according to the flesh, walking. Those who are in Messiah do not live in the flesh. Now, notice this word for living is in the present tense, and that means something that is consistent. Consistently, as believers, we do not operate in the flesh. Do we sometimes fail and sin and listen to the flesh and behave in the flesh rather than According to the Spirit, yes, we fail at times. But it's saying here, those who are consistently walking, behaving, living in the flesh, they're not in a new covenant relationship. What are we in? It says here, but according to the Spirit, we walk, we have a consistency as believers, disciples of Messiah, to live, to behave in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, listening to the Spirit, being brought into righteousness through the Spirit's working in our life. Now let's move to the second verse, verse 2. For the law of the Spirit is life. Now literally what it says, for the law of, of the Spirit, life. Now, it's in the Greek very choppy because when it sounds choppy in English, the point is emphasis. For the law of the Spirit, life. That's what we have through the Spirit. And he behaves according to the will of God. We could say as it says here, the law of God. The law of of the Spirit, how? Once again, it says, in Messiah Yeshua. So those who operate and have received this law of the Spirit through redemption, meaning being in Messiah Yeshua, what are we? He says here, being free. Now, he makes it personal, and there's a difference. If you're following the Texas Receptus, which is usually the King James or the New King James that that uses that Greek text as the foundation for its translation, Paul makes it personal. He says, being set free me. So he's saying this personally. I have been set free. Now, the Nestle Allen says, you have been set free from what? We have been set free from the law of sin and of death. So he see something. When we are not spiritual beings, meaning this, when we have not been redeemed by God's grace, having been justified by the blood of Messiah. If this is not who we are, if we're not in Messiah, in that covenantal relationship, then there's another law that works in us. Because having been redeemed, that person is still in the flesh and under the law of the flesh. And what's the outcome of that? Sin is going to dominate this one. And sin is always always in the scripture connected to death so we are either going to be operating in the law of the spirit what's the outcome life or we're going to be operating in the law of the flesh which is the law of sin and what's going to be the outcome he says here it's going to be death verse three four he says what the law is not able to do, is not and was not able to do. Now, we know in the last chapter, chapter 7, Paul, in speaking about the law, says the law is good, it is righteous, it is holy. So the problem is not the law. Who gave the law? God did. God gives that which is good and perfect. But it says something here, therefore, that seems odd, because we read in verse 3, for the law, what the law is not able to do, why isn't the law able to do something? In what? The weakness according to the flesh. Now, we see something. This is where it's so important that we pay attention to the grammar, because if we don't, and we just gloss over it, read it quickly, not thinking throughly based upon what grammatical change happened. Well, being weak is a verb in the Greek language. We have to use a verb to help, meaning being is the helping verb. The state of being is weak. But in Greek, we can use a verb that means just that being weak but here's what's important. That verb is in the imperfect. What's the imperfect? It speaks about something that was true. It may or may not be true now, but it's not gonna continue. What is the implication of that? Frequently, when the imperfect appears, you can anticipate a change. Now, here's what he's saying. The law didn't produce anything good in our life. Why? Because we were solely and totally in the flesh. There was no spirit in our life. Therefore, the law did not uh, produce anything good because of the weakness. What weakness? Your weakness and mine. When the law was applied to our life, what did Paul teach us? for the unregenerated one, the one who is not saved, all the law can do is point out sin. How do we know what sin is? Because it does tell us what is right. So we see through the law of God, his commandments, what is right. When we apply that to us, we see that we're wrong, we are unholy, unrighteous, we are living in sin. So that's our previous condition. So. For the believer, there's a change, and that's why he's using the imperfect. Again, for the law was unable. Why? In which it was weak. Why was it weak? According to the flesh, through the flesh. God, what did he do to solve that problem? Here's the change. But God sent of himself a very important term. God sent of himself who the son and we see here that this son was sent of god also it says in the likeness of of sinful flesh meaning he came as truly a man so we see that messiah of god meaning divine but came in the likeness of sinful human flesh meaning he was fully god and fully man but here's what we know because he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world Messiah Yeshua Jesus Christ never sinned he had typical human flesh in the likeness of sinful flesh but his flesh meaning he never carried out anything 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 that was sinful he is the perfect son of god the righteous son of god and that's why we can be assured through what he did that that his sacrifice is sufficient nothing has to be added to it it's all done at the cross for you and me look at the last part of verse verse 3 where he says and concerning sin What happens? It says, he judged, he condemned the sin that is in the flesh. How did he do that? He received that condemnation upon himself. Not because he deserved it, he did not. We just said, he's perfect. He is righteous, holy, never violated the law of God. Even though he's fully human being, but he's also fully God, never transgressing the law. But he received the full punishment of transgressing the law. And therefore, he received that condemnation. Why? So you and I would not have to receive it. We have been set free from that eternal condemnation. And because of the sufficiency of what he did, we can have that wonderful assurance knowing without any doubt based upon the fact that God does not lie. And what does God provide? He promised to give me eternal life. And here's the great news about that. It was done through what he accomplished. I receive it by faith. I enter into an eternal covenant why do we know it's eternal covenant because what he purchased for us with his blood not the blood of goats and bulls and lambs but the very blood of god's only begotten son he was of god and he laid down his life so that we could have eternal life and we now have that promise and therefore we have assurance So he did all of this, and now look at at verse verse 4. It says something that's so significant. Verse 4, to me, is one of the most important verses in all the Bible. It can clarify a lot of poor theology. Now, notice what it says, verse 4. In order that the righteousness of the law should be fulfilled. Now, interesting. We see this term, righteousness of the law. Now, this is something, if you are a good student of the Old Testament, you know that there's an inherent relationship between law and righteousness. The law is not an instrument of righteousness, meaning this. The law can't be used to make one righteous. Quite the contrary. What does the law do? When we apply the law to our life, it points out how unrighteous everyone is. But when the law was placed before Messiah, meaning when he was examined, and one of the things we see in the Gospels is how the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, the doctors of the law, they examined Messiah. They tried over and over and over to say that he was sinful. To catch him, they set traps for him, and they never could. Why? Because Messiah never sinned. If he had sinned, just one little sin, he would not be that Lamb of God. He could not do the work of redemption. And now, notice what it says concerning us. Verse 4. In order that, the righteousness of the law should be fulfilled in who? In us. So we have a responsibility now. Now, this is not talking about because of what God did for me through his son, I am now declared righteous. That's true. But this is talking about walking, behaving, living righteously in a way that fulfills that standard of the law, the righteous standard of the law. So let's translate this very literally, it says, in order that the righteousness of the law should be, and notice it's it's in the the passive, should be, meaning it's gotta be brought about, should be fulfilled in who? In us. The ones, which ones? The ones, not according to the flesh, walk, but according to the Spirit. Now, how do we walk not in the flesh, but in the Spirit? Very simple. We saw that in verse 1. It says, those who are in Messiah. What does that mean? In a covenantal relationship with Him. Through that covenant that new covenant only the new covenant can we receive the spirit why because that new covenant it was ratified it's a covenant of redemption ratified with the blood of messiah that gives us that that sure hope that that confidence to know that we are going to be eternal recipients of the promises of god this is that good news and now, what are we supposed to do before we enter into the kingdom and receive all of those wonderful promises? This is what Paul is teaching us now. This is how we behave in this world. How? He says, verse 4 once more, in order that, this is why we were saved, in order that the righteousness of the law should be fulfilled in us, Who's us? The ones not according to the flesh, walk. This term walk means behave, live out. It is a, an idiom in Hebrew for, for Jewish law, meaning how we are supposed to, to submit our lives, how we're supposed to live. So not according to the flesh, walk, but it says according to the Spirit. For the ones according to the flesh being. So the ones being in the flesh, what does it say about that? It says, the things of the flesh, they think. So you need to ask yourself a question. How are you thinking? Are you thinking according to the flesh, that carnal nature, what is said in Hebrew, the Yetzirah, which means that, that, that mind that has that continuous, continuous inclination to think against God, not want the things of God. That's the old man. That old man was crucified at the cross with Messiah. That we would become a new creation, a new man in Messiah Shul. And and what gives that new man life? Better, we should say, who gives that new man life? And the answer is the Holy Spirit. He gives us this new life. So we're not being in the flesh. We don't think according to the flesh. He says in the middle of, of verse 5, but the ones according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, and the implication is the ones being in this world according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, we think. So we want to have spiritual thoughts. What does that mean in a practical sense? Well, the first time we see the Spirit of God being mentioned in the scripture, what was he doing going back to Genesis chapter one? He was bringing things into God's order. And that's what it means walking in the Spirit. Living in the spirit, thinking according to the spirit. We think according to God's order. Now, can we make that maybe more simpler to understand? Sure. We think according to the purposes of God. That's our our calling. That's our objective. One more verse, look at verse verse 6. For the thought or the mind of the flesh is what? Death. Now, this is why it's so important that we get it right. When we live in the flesh, we think in the flesh, we do the things of the flesh, and what's the outcome? Death. Just that simple. But we know that wonderful scripture that teaches us that Yeshua, He was sent into this world not to condemn the world. That was not what He came the first time. Now, will he sit as judge and condemn much of this world? Yes, he will. But here's the principle. You always have to understand the context. If you just look at him in his first coming, he's not the condemner. But when he comes a second time, when he comes to judge, he will come to condemn all those who are not in a covenantal relationship with his father through him. Last part, he says, for the thought or the mind of the flesh is death. But the mind, the the thinking of the spirit, what is it? Thinking in the spirit is life and peace. That's what God has for his people. Life, a new life. A life that reflects the righteousness of God and manifests the glory of God of God. This is what we can have, and this is what every believer must manifest. Now we must manifest it because God does not lie. Once someone is redeemed by the blood of Messiah, they are going to think differently, and they are going to think according to life, God's standards, God's framework for life. And what's that last word? Peace we're going to know that peace that that passes all understanding. That peace is not dependent upon my circumstances in this world. It's dependent upon the fact that I'm in that eternal covenant with God. As John says, of course, Yeshua is speaking, where we are in the hand of God, and he says also in the hand of Messiah, And, and not God the Father and not God the Son is going to ever let go. No one, it says, will be able to pluck us out. Why? Because God's promises are eternal. We are in a wonderful position through Messiah Yeshua. Well, I'll close with that. Until next week, may God bless you. Shalom from Israel.
0: Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others.